Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the HBCU audio experience. Um, you're about to listen to an episode I did with Dr. Amber Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate in computer science from Purdue University. See, he, she's an HBCU grad uh, from Jackson State. I really, really think you're going to enjoy this. It was a really good conversation we had. But first, I need you to do me one quick favor. Write this down. 312-535-8511. 312-535-8511. That's our text community. And um, you get access. Access is everything. You get access to uh, HBCU grad. You get access to discounts. You get access to a lot of different things. So text us there to join our text community. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to HBCU Live. We are here with Dr. Amber Johnson. How are you today, Doc? I am great. The sun is shining. It's really nice. I am quarantined in my house. So... I'm doing good. Have you been adhering to the quarantine? Oh, yes. Yes. No, like the, the mail carrier has to leave stuff like across the street. Like, what about DoorDash? Are, are you one of those DoorDash people? No. I okay. yeah. I cook okay. every meal. Everything we eat, I, I cook it. So. Okay. Okay. I hear that. Doc, you're the first black woman to earn a PhD in computer science from Purdue. When did you become aware that you were going to be the first one. Was this before you got into the program or while you were going through it? Somebody said, you know what? I think you'll be the first black woman. Um, I kind of I kind of had an idea when I went on a visit to Purdue um, before I, I was accepted. So I went on a visit and I was talking to some guys and they asked what I wanted to major in computer science. They were like, like black people don't major computer science here. And I was like, what? And so they told me about um, the first black person that just, that they graduated in 2010 with a PhD. And so I kind of had an idea, like I didn't, my mind didn't really go past that too much. Um, but definitely when I first stepped on campus, people who had been at Purdue and other students, they they knew it. So they were like, oh, you're gonna be the first. And so I tried to like, cause it was a lot of pressure and um, I don't know, imposter syndrome, just a lot of things just, right. I kind of found out I guess, I guess as soon as I started classes. Right. Why are there so few black women in computer science? Let me know so I can. <laughs> um, so, so there, there are a few women in computer science. Well, the, the gender gap is actually doing better with it now. Um, but there's a smaller number of women in comparison to men because computer science was seen as a male, you know, a male field. And so, um, you know, engineering, playing with gadgets and things like that, that's not something that was society kind of, I guess, um, introduced to women or, or made them feel comfortable with doing. So that's, that's why I think so. And then as far as black women, um, the communities that we're in, like we, I would say the, the women that I know aren't really exposed to, you know, tech fields such as computer science. Now, tell me exactly what computer science is for people that don't have a full understanding well, of what computer science is. That's the ACT questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, computer science is just a, it's a study of computers. Um, so there are different aspects. There's, um, there's a very technical aspect dealing with programming. So what people know is coding and building apps and websites and things like that. Um, there are also theoretical parts of computer science. And so that's really math heavy. So which is 
just as important, although like, you know, it's not talked about a lot. Um, the theory part of it is very important. So like, for instance, when you load up your app, load up an app, if it takes too long, sometimes you get upset and close it. Well, there's a, a computer scientist who's, a, who's in theory behind that who determines like, you know, how long this is going to take to load up or how long this is going to take to run or whatever. Um, so that's the gist of it. And if you break it into two parts. Okay. That makes sense. Now, from a system standpoint, what barriers visible and invisible are hindrance to the success of black people in computer science? Ooh, okay. How long is this? How long is this? As long as we want. <laughs> Ariel and Katrina said, hey. Oh, hey, y'all. Um, <laughs> what barriers are in place? So I think one of the things that, that I've I don't know that that really affected me a lot was that okay we want to get women into computer science we want to get women into tech we want to get black people and so I think people are focused so much on getting a number mm-hmm. that these these um, these places aren't weren't built for us right they were not created these spaces weren't created with us in mind and so they're like okay yeah we we have a black woman now but then what are you doing to support her or right. to support this group and so I think. Um, some some is knowing and some is, is, is unknowing. So I think that's one of the things, just lack of support. Um, or And sometimes they don't even know how to support you. Right. So um, that, that's one of the, the systematic things, I think, or the, or the biggest one. Right. So now let's say we have someone that's a young adult, maybe even high school, maybe college. What skills or traits do you look for in young people that make you encourage them to pursue a career maybe in computer science or science in general? Um, really curiosity, just the willingness to learn. So computer science is all about problem solving. Mm-hmm. And as long as you are, you know, you like solving problems, um, I think I think that's one of the things that's important. Um, I myself did not, I just kind of like broke things and took things apart. Um, and so when I see kids and when I see other people uh, who are, you know, kind of, I guess, curious in, in like an engineering kind of sense or really good at math, um, I, you know, may talk to them about computer science. But I don't I usually don't like encourage anybody to major or study anything like um, if, if, you know, the conversation comes up or I kind of just tell my story. Right. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me because I, I truly believe that. You know, you should do what is interesting to you, and there could be a lot of things that influence it. So I'm, I'm really careful about talking to, um, especially people who are younger than me, who are very impressionable about, hey, you can major computer science. Right, right, that makes sense. Now, I want to go back a little bit. I want to go back a little bit. I'm trying to unpack how we got to Dr. Johnson here. Okay. So, tell me what kind of child you were. First word came to mind. I probably shouldn't say. Uh, curious. I was very. <laughs> I was a very, very curious child. So as I said before, I was always taking things apart. I broke so many VCRs and Walkmans. Like I don't think my mom ever knew. I kind of hid them. Um, gaming. Was, I was always trying to figure out how they worked. Um, taking my bike apart. Um, very, very much active. I was very much a tomboy. Um, climbing trees and. Yeah, always doing something. Never sitting still. Right. And where are you from? Um, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Okay. So who was the first PhD that you ever came in contact with that you can remember? Um, off the top of my head, I can remember. I had a, I had a 
teacher in high school, uh, her name is Dr. Conley. I didn't know that doctor meant PhD. Mm-hmm. She was doctor. But one of my mentors, Dr. Charles Glenn, who uh, was a professor at Jackson State and at Mississippi Valley State, um, he was who I did my first research internship with. And that's when I really learned about what a PhD was. Um, okay. It was more so on the, he was trying to get me into the master's program. So we didn't talk, we didn't talk much about the PhD, but he was the first one. And I think I was about 20, 21 when I kind of found out what a PhD was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now tell me, um, what was your HBCU experience like? So first tell me what made you want to go to an HBCU, then how it was, who influenced you to go there? Um, it was lit. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I knew I knew I was going to Hillman. Okay, mm, I mm. love a different world. I love the Cosby Show. I hence my my name on social media platforms call me Rudy. That's why because mm. I I was Rudy. I was the youngest one, and I was going to Hillman. Um, right. I found out later that Hillman was not an actual school, but um, I that that was one of the my first remember like the first exposure of seeing like a lot of black people in college. Um, my my one of my godmoms her name is Sinitra, she went to Tougaloo. And um, I think when she was at Tougaloo, I probably was five, maybe six years old. And so I would go to the library with her and of course I had to sit there and be quiet. But we would walk around the campus, we went to step shows, so I saw the Greek life. So these were things that were kind of like planted in me early on that I didn't even realize until like later, later, later in life. Um, and so then I grew up in Jackson. So uh, shout out to the I love Jackson State University. Um, and so going to Jackson State, um, being, in, being in Mississippi, Jackson State is it. Um, so we went to all the games. I just knew I was going to be a baby tiger. Um, I couldn't wait to, you know, you know, just be a part of the Jackson State family. So out of high school, like I was going to Jackson State. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was the school. Um, so going into that, I actually, I actually played basketball in in um, in high school, and I got a couple of scholarships to college. So I ended up playing two years at Tulu. Um, wow. Yeah. And so as a college, as an athlete, like I just I was kind of like standoffish a little bit. Not standoffish, but I kind of like went to practice, went to class. Went to my room. We were always mm-hmm. practicing. And I think my sophomore year is when I kind of came out and started talking to people. I played Zeta Phi Beta in sorority. Okay. Um, and so I kind of got more involved. And yeah, like it. it is such an amazing experience just having like community. And I didn't realize it until I was away from that community, how great and how important that was. Um, mm-hmm. I transferred to moving on which is also an HBCU in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played basketball as well, and which was, that was also lit because it's Memphis. Um, right. And then I got a master's at Jackson State. So I actually went to three HBCUs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Now, before enrolling at HBCU, what did you think it was going to be like? Um, I actually had no idea. So I, I was one of the ones, even pledging, even, even pledging, like I had no idea about any of this stuff, right? I had nothing. I had no idea what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't really, you know, like I said, I, I grew up going to Jackson State games and um, being on Tulu's campus. So, like, that was my norm. Like, being around that many black people doing some really cool things, that was normal for me. Um, so I guess it was kind of just like being at home. Right. 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 That makes sense. Now, 
how you expected it to be? Was that different from your real experience? Um, was it better, worse? I think it was better. I okay. <laughs> like I said, it was like being at home, but it was like at home with like all these other really smart and cool people. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't like a big party or anything like that, but I, I'm very social, so like knew a lot of people on campus. Um, you know, hung out. I never got a chance to go to the big, the, the Greek pic- picnic in Atlanta. Uh, okay. But um, I I definitely it was it was much more than I could have ever imagined. It was so enriching and um, it was so nurturing. Right. Mm -hmm. My my professors, um, even my classmates, like it was like everybody was there for you. Like you always had some kind of support. Right. Right. Now, you are an athlete. What lessons did you take from athletics that you uh, that are helpful in your life now? Um. Definitely teamwork. So I was a point guard. So, you know, I was a general. So um, definitely teamwork um, is so important. And in my job now, like a lot of the things that I learned while playing sports, um, I play basketball, which is a team sport. I also play tennis, which is which can be very individual. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got some lessons from both. Right. Um, So definitely that teamwork, um, work ethic. So working, working hard. Um, having goals, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those those are are the the top things. Um, okay, yeah, we have a lot of similarities, Amber. Oh, Doc, yeah. excuse me, Doctor Johnson. You got dimples? No, I don't. I don't have dimples. <laughs> no, but uh, I played tennis and basketball too. Okay, so, you know that's that's pretty cool. Okay. Um, upon graduation, how did you get to grad school, and why grad school? Um, so I knew I wanted to get a master's and I'm not, I can't exactly remember why I know I wanted to, I, I felt like it would afford me better opportunities as far as in my career. My mom also has a master's. I have a cousin who has a master's in computer science. So it's kind of like those things are floating up there, um, but definitely to have better opportunities. So I mentioned Dr. Bland, who's at uh, Mississippi Valley State. So, um, Dr. Bland told me about a program um, well, first of all, I got an internship after I graduated from undergrad. I didn't even know, really know what an internship was for real. Um, somehow I got into AutoZone corporate headquarters and got an internship. So okay. I'm here and I'm pretty sure the rest. So I am the only black person there, the only black intern. Uh, mm-hmm. No, there was one other. And um, the rest of the people there seemed like they had a connection, like they knew somebody. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening to them talk about different things. Um, about how they vacation and, you know, where they're going to study in grad school. Like, and I'm like, whoa, you know, like I've, I went to, I've been to, in the, uh, like Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, they're talking about all these like study abroad trips and stuff like that. And so I went home and I prayed about it and I wrote down a list of five things I wanted to accomplish. And one of the things on that list was um, to get my master's and I didn't want to pay for it. So Dr. Blaine calls me and tells me about LSMAP, the LSMAP program um, at Jackson State. Uh, and so I, he told me to apply for it. And full transparency, um, I did not apply. So he calls me, you know, a couple of days or day before the application is due. He's like, Johnson, did you apply? I'm like, no, Dr. Lane, I didn't apply. So I didn't want to tell him why. So uh, he keeps digging and digging. I'm like, I don't meet the requirements. And he's like, what do you mean you don't meet the requirements? I'm like, listen, just take it. I, didn't, I don't meet the requirements. So I'm like, well, I, I didn't have the GPA for it. And I was very embarrassed about that. And now my parents know because they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably listening. 
Are they out here? <laughs> I, I think they are. Um, uh, but um, yeah, so I didn't have GPA. And so that was one of the most important lessons that I learned uh, in, in that moment. He said something uh, to the effect of basically you, you don't get what you don't apply for. And not just that he didn't, he didn't mean like just the application itself, but just in life, like you already don't have it. Like you have nothing now. So if you apply and they say, no, you lose nothing. And so I was like, okay, I'm not gonna get in. Okay, whatever. So I apply, got into LS man. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So LS man, <laughs> let me, let me plug real quick for anybody that's looking for funding or, uh, or uh, so LSMAP is is the Louis Stokes uh, Minority uh, Minority Participation Program, and it's a it's for uh, students who major in STEM. So there's an undergraduate program as well as a um, graduate program, and so they at Jackson State they pay for your masters. Mm. Um, yeah, they pay for your masters. They give you a stipend. They give you a, a stipend that 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 um, where you can live and not have to work, which is awesome. Mm. Yeah. And, they also work with an internship, full um, of the conferences, and um, you do a study abroad for a summer. Okay. So, I'll, so, so like four of the things on my list I already checked off. Yeah, right. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. So, yeah, I, I applied, got into LSMIP, and started at Jackson State and um, finished up my master's. So, during my master's there, one of the students in the park, so the park, so the so the LSMAP program is LSMAP Bridge to the Doctor, so they prepare you for the PhD. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and get a PhD. So that's when I first thought about, okay, I want to get a PhD. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the people, one of the, a, a girl in my class came up to me one day and was like, you want a free trip to Purdue? And I, I mean, to Indiana, I oh, no, to Purdue. And I was like, I don't care, sure. So mm-hmm. I ended up going to Purdue with a, a similar kind of program that paid for everything and waived application fees and all of that. Um, where you visit the campus and you meet people in the department you want to work in. And so um, ended up doing that and got into Purdue. Nice. nice. Now tell me about your time at Purdue. Like tell me from the time you got there to getting your PhD, what did you have to go through? Um, How was it being a black person in Indiana? Uh, Tell me about what type of obstacles you ran into. Tell me everything about it because people that haven't gone on the PhD journey know nothing about it. So give yes, me a whole cool synopsis. It's a whole lot of prayer, a whole lot of fasting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was it was, you know, my my path, I think, very unique, and I think everybody has their own unique path. So I was the only black person in my class. Now I came from an all-black high school in the heart of the city of Jackson, Mississippi. I went to three HBCUs and then I go to Purdue. So I'm very thankful that the, the kind of, my personality is just like, hey, like I'll talk to anybody. I'm like, I'm like the weird one in my family. Like I'll just go talk to anybody. <laughs> um, That's a good thing. So that, that, that helped me though. Um, so finding study groups, People not want to study with me or not think that I was, you know, thinking I was inadequate. So, like, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Even my, you know, my major, my initial major professor not believing in me and, like, within the first month of school suggesting that I go work in industry and not, you know, maybe the PhD is for you, which is a very common thing, actually. You'd be surprised. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
And then on top of that, so I, I suffered from like imposter syndrome where I felt like I didn't belong. Um, and the Midwest is cold. Okay. I came from Mississippi. I, <laughs> listen, I had about three hoodies. And a jacket. That's all you need. <laughs> so uh, my very first year was the worst winter they had in like 50 years. It was so mm. Purdue closed for the second time in school history because wow. it was a negative 36 degree wind. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> I had an eight o'clock class and they canceled. They canceled, I think the first the day before it was like a negative 17 and they canceled classes after my eight o'clock. Oh, mm. really? Um. But yeah, so, um, you know, going through all that and then my my family's very close. Okay. So my aunt passed away a month before the start of my second year. And it was, yeah, we were like, I talked to her like an hour before she died. Had no idea she, you know, she just died, you know. So she suffered from COPD, um, product of of pulmonary disease is a, a respiratory disease. And so, um, yeah, she passed away. But, like, because I'm so used to, like, getting it done, I went home, helped out, helped set up, you know, funeral arrangements, all these things, and went right back to school the Sunday before classes started on that Monday. <laughs> so somewhere in, like, uh, somewhere in the spring semester, I kind of, like, crashed. And uh, it kind of all came running down. So, like, stress. And I didn't, I never experienced stress before, at least to the point where I knew it was stress. Um, but I knew I had to do something because I started losing my edges. And I can't, edges are important. So um, when my hair started falling out, I was like, nah. Um, but yeah, so um, went through that and then just struggling with classes, um, struggling with like being really isolated. The sun does not shine in Indiana. For like, it could be days. Um, So doing all that, and then um, I eventually was sitting down with a mentor one day, and we were talking about research, and God spoke to me. Like, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew exactly what my research was going to be. And so I was trying to figure out a way to incorporate COPD with computer science. I don't know how that was going to work. Um, so the more I learned about the disease, I felt like the closer I was getting to my aunt, the closer and more I was learning, um, I, I was thinking of ways that I could help. So that's actually how I came up with my dissertation topic. Um, wow. Yeah. So it was like this whole thing is like I knew I know it was meant um, and everything yeah. kind of like intertwined. So. Yeah. Did you ever contemplate quitting? I don't know. Um, I didn't know how it was how how it was gonna end. Like I didn't know when it was gonna end, but I knew it was gonna end. And mainly because I prayed about it. So I I I applied for one job in one grad school. I do not advise this. <laughs> um, but that's that's what I did. So I prayed about it and I prayed and I said, you know, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to be, you know. Make it happen and let me know that it's you. Right. So, um, I while while I was at Jackson State, I did research at UC Santa Barbara. Okay. And um, met these met these people and kind of stayed in contact with them. And um, 
shows the importance of networking. I, that was on a train and I met these people. So um, I started emailing, the lady told me about her husband. He like worked for this, uh, this, this um, company or whatever group that gives uh, money, funding for students who are um, underrepresented for mm-hmm. grad. So I stayed in contact with them. Um, also, I, so I went on a job interview, did really well, passed the test, you know, holding tests and all this stuff. And I get a, I get the email from Purdue saying that, you know, you got in. And then about a day later or two days later, I get the email, I get the call from the guy saying, hey, this is unofficial. The letters are going to go out. You should get it in a couple of days. But I just wanted to let you know that we're giving you funding to go to Purdue. So I got funding on funding. Like, wow. I had wow. And so then it was it had to be within hours or something. I get a call from the job that's like, hey, we regret to inform you that, you know, we can't find a place for you. You did so well. We're going to we're going to keep, you know, we're going to consider you in the future. But and I was like, oh, say no more, Jesus. So that's that. Yes, that's how I got there. I didn't I didn't think. And so that's that's one. That's the reason why I didn't. I never thought about quitting because I okay. knew it wasn't, the PhD wasn't for me. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, how how important is the support system? Do you think you think because your family's so close and they support you so much that kind of makes you keep going? Or um, absolutely. Um, I think support is is extremely important. Now, like I said, I came from communities that were very nurturing. My family, um, very close. I just tweeted the other day, like I I can probably count the number of basketball games in college that my that my folks didn't come to. Yeah. And I, you know, I would be in South Carolina and I would look up and my godparents are sitting in the stands. They ain't told me they tra- they, you know, they're traveling there or anything. So um it was that when I didn't have that support that I realized how important because I was so used to it. Um right. I realized how important important that was. And then mentors, oh my God, mentors are I have a mentor. I have a mentor for food. Okay. I have somebody who's like, listen, I'm going to California. What do I need to eat? Like, I. Right. right. Uh, but mentors are, are so important. And I met all of the mentors that I have. Uh, I met them when I was supposed to meet them. So it's kind of like a couple of them, you know, like I learned to ask for help. Right. But initially, I kind of just, I remember Dr. Jamika Burge, who um, she started Black Girls Rock. The tech portion of Black Girls Rock. Um, I remember meeting her at Grace Hopper's Women uh, Compute uh, a conference, Women in Computing. She also started Black Compute Her, which is the only Black female computing conference. Um, so I, we ended up sitting on the couch talking. Next thing I know, we both in tears. Give <laughs> me number and a plane ticket to DC. She like, if you ever listen, you need to just get away. You know, so those kind of people, those kind of mentors. Whenever uh, Dr. Raquel Hill, who's actually the first. Um, black person to get a PhD from Harvard is one of my mentors, um, and how the way she combed through my my dissertation. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's a, the support system in many aspects is, is very important. Let's stay here for a minute. So okay. how do we? So how should one get a mentor, and how do they? How is one a good mentee? Um, so, so I'll start with, so how does one get a mentor? So as I said, some of my mentors, I think the guy just knew, like God knew I needed that. Um, others I've asked. So 
how does one get a mentor? So I, I am, I am pretty bold. Mm -hmm. I, like most of my friends and not a bunch of them are in here are my friends because I walked up to them and said, hmm, you seem cool. I think we should be friends. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when you recognize, sometimes you can see stuff in other people and mm -hmm. um, especially people who are, uh, who are on the path that you want to be on. And so I think just going up to them and asking them, and if they say no, or if they don't, they can't help you. Maybe, maybe they can't do it, but they can point you to someone else who can. If, if, if they're nasty with you, like they're not, you don't want them as your mentor anyway. Right. Um, and that also helps build confidence as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, but networking is super important. Um, so just, you know, you never know. If the times where I sat down and I didn't want to be bothered, me, like, talk to everybody, didn't want to be bothered. I'm sitting on a plane and I'm like, okay, just don't talk to me. I got my headphones in. The person next to me is like, Oh, what are you reading? I'm like, I'm reading. Like, I, <laughs> I am reading. Okay, you want to talk? all right. I see you want to talk. Let's talk. And so then those that ended up being the person that was the person that I needed to meet. And so being open and not being so absorbed with self or what's going on to like you know, um, kind of taking in what's what's around you, and um, being a mentee, being a good mentee. Sometimes you don't know what you what you don't what you need. Um, I think being one of the key things of being a mentee is when you get the advice, at least try it. Right. So you may not have to do exactly, you know, you have your own path, whatever, but like, don't take the advice and then you you just have it. Like that that's not benefiting you or them. And I think get feedback as well. Right. That makes sense. Now you said reading. What what good books are you reading right now? Well, what books are you reading right now? Um, I just started reading relationship goals. By say that again. Relationship goals by Michael Scott. Okay. okay. Yep. Everybody is trying to get a boo. I recommend it. If you got a boo, okay. read it. If you ain't thinking okay. about a boo, still read it. Um okay. so that's that's uh yeah, that's what I'm focused on now. Um because I have this adult life, I have the business, there are so many things that I don't know. So I'm constantly and I'm a researcher, so I'm constantly like looking up, I don't know, things about taxes, about finances, marketing. Um mm -hmm. so I do I do a lot of like moving back and forth between things. What does your system look like when you research? Are you one that gathers a hundred different things and sees what are the common threads in between? Or do you, do you go to people who have are certain, have accomplished a certain amount of things in that area of study that you're looking at? You know, give me a, a feel for what your system is. Um, yeah. So I, I, I look at both. So I don't, I don't, everybody is, 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 kind of giving you knowledge from their perspective is, you know, like math is like the thing that's kind of constant. We know that math is like, it is what it is. But some things, you know, come from our experiences. It come from, you know, our perspective. So I'm very careful about that. Um, looking for credible sources. I mean, if I go back to being a grad student, um, looking for papers and credible sources, reading the references from those, those papers and those references, so doing the day, um, I definitely love like human interaction. So constantly having conversations with people, picking their brains about different things. That's really important to me. And I'm, I'm the one that questions things. So you're not just going to tell me something. I'd be like, oh, OK. Like, I want to know, like, where did you get that from? Like, why did you right. you come up with that? So, yeah, I'm constantly asking why. Right. Right. That makes sense. What do you do for fun? Um, Eat. 
Um, I love I love cooking. I love flying kites, but really, yeah. So shout out to everybody on Instagram that said I was not gonna get my kite to fly. I was able wow. to fly my kite several times. Uh, the wind has just been trashed, but yeah, I like flying kites. Um, okay. I'm creating, so I I doodle a lot. Um, oh. I, I just had to draw. I just mm. do. So if I, I'm thinking about something or whatever, like I like to draw different things. So I've actually been like looking up how to draw characters and things like that to use them for for my business. So you're a real kid adult. So I think that's a perfect segue to uh, get into your business. Now, you started a business, the, the kid adult life. Yeah. Tell me about it and why did you start it? Um, so the adult life is an inspirational apparel uh, line um, that encourages others to be who they are, no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. uh, so the word, so adulting is like, so the adult is like kid and adult. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when I thought about the business, there there were like several ways that I approached it. Um, so I was inspired to create it from my experiences at Purdue. Mm -hmm. So I was completely myself throughout okay. my entire time there, being in a totally different environment. Um, and I'm very happy that I did because had I not produced still when I have a black woman to have graduated with a PhD, mm -hmm. they would have got somebody else. So my southern my southern uh, draw, um, my like outgoing personality, um, all of that came with me. I didn't. There was no code switching. You got. Mm -hmm. um, and so I then it's it, that was so important because I didn't have to think about who I was going to be today or in this conversation. And I didn't, I didn't realize until, you know, talking to other people that, that that's actually a thing and people struggle with that. Um, and it, you know, and so, um, when you think about kids and their curiosity and you think about their fearlessness, uh, fearlessness, fearlessness, um, they, you know, jump into anything without even thinking about it, right? And so somewhere in our lives, like, we lose it. We lose that curiosity. Um, and so I kind of, I'm like, why can't we still be like kids? Like, we could be grown. Like, there are things, like, you got to pay taxes, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. right? But, like, why can't we keep that? Why can't you be who you are? You know, there are some standards and some places. You go to a a, a a ballroom or something like you may be expected to wear black tie, right? But mm -hmm. aside from things like that, like why can't I be me? Um, right. And I, I'll digress for a moment. So like for my PhD, for my dissertation, I remember and shout out to all of my friends who are in here who supported me throughout that. Uh, I remember trying to like I was practicing giving my defense, and I was like, it was not working, and I was so stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, you know, like. Okay, what did you do? So I, I stopped the presentation and I was like, look, my auntie died. She has COPD. I, I wanted to figure out how to get this into my, my dissertation. This is what I did. This is how I came up with X, Y, and Z and how I got to the solution. And they were like, say that. And I was like, <laughs> y'all right. <laughs> um, and so instead of trying to fit into this box, just be who you are. So that's what the mm -hmm. conductor is about. And then the other part of it is I feel like we we're always trying to figure out how to adult. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, and so especially that transition between being a kid or, you know, society says you're an adult now, but your parents are still saying you're not grown. 
And then, you know, so that chance, so what is it, where, at what point do you become an adult and what does that look like? And why right. can't you define that? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, now walk me through the time you had an idea for that shirt you have on to coming up with a design okay. to having it of, I, I guess it's probably available to you having it on. Walk me through, like, how do you create, how many different iterations did you go through? Walk me through that. Um, so I, I think I, I actually came up with this before I came up with the logo. So I wanted mm. something, I wanted something playful, but also grownish. You know, okay. I didn't want somebody to look at it and go, oh, no, mm -mm, I'm too grown to be wearing that. Right. So, you know, as you can see the font here, like it's a little, it's playful, but it's also kind of like, you know, grown up a little bit. Um, right. So the first, when I came up with this, I was actually sitting in a hotel room in Florida. <laughs> and um, I had just gotten a cricket. So I was traveling back to Maryland. It was raining. Traveling back to Maryland. I was like, I want to make a shirt. I was at this conference. I was like, I want to make a shirt. Like, I already had the business of that, but I hadn't done anything. But I'm like, I'm at this conference, and people need to see this. And I think they'll like it. So I'm in the hotel room, and I'm like, okay. I'm, I just, like, I stayed up like for a while that night and just kind of played around and then I cut it with the cricket and ironed it on the shirt. So wow. I went to the conference and like 10 people outside was like, oh, I love that shirt. And I was like, you do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was telling my cousin all the way there. She, I saw, she was like, that's the one, that's the one. I was like, remember, I was in a hotel room with a iron <laughs> with no steam making this shirt. You got to remember this. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, that's how I came with this design, but um, with others, and it's it's kind of I don't know. There's some sort of creativity or something that I may be thinking about or going through at the moment. So I'm kind of just sitting, and I think I'm like, yeah, I want to do a design. So I sit down, and I try to create one, and it's like fail. Um, but I'll like randomly be watching TV or eating some donuts or something, and like just start doing. And I'm like, oh, that's dope. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how mm -hmm. I come up with things. Okay. I just got hip to a website called Alpha Broder. Are you hip to alphabroder.com? Mm -hmm. I was I wasn't hip to it. They probably have the best prices on shirts. Is mm -hmm. that where you get yours from? Um, I go through so there's Bella Canvas and Jiffy shirts, and I think I may have ordered something from Alpha before. Um okay. I just hear about tip or tab with Jiffy Jiffy shirts. Okay, okay, it makes sense. Monica Johnson said her dissertation defense was amazing. Tell me about your dissertation defense. Thanks, Monica. Monica Johnson, excuse me, who is the director of the Black Cultural Center at IU University. In, in oh, wow. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, she wasn't going to let you just be humble today. She has to. Oh, no. We want to hear about this. My folks already know. <laughs> I know. So I'm, listen, I'm telling you, you could be like, you could be a street sweeper only on Tuesdays. I'd be like, my brother... <laughs> you don't see no dust on the street when my brother yeah. um yeah. so yeah so my my defense so my family i think maybe maybe about two of my family members knew what i was doing mm. and that's that, that that's a whole conversation even in the phd program they just knew i was in school for my whole life but as mm. far as like what i was um my research maybe two maybe two of them knew and so and i didn't tell them i just didn't tell them 
Um, you know, it's for a reason. Like I kind of wanted to keep it to myself and it was very intimate for me. Um, so I actually created two um, software tools, one to visualize electronic health records um, and the other to do modeling and simulation. So we don't know a lot about COPD. It's actually not that old of a, a disease, um, but it's the fourth leading cause of death in the United States. And so millions and millions of people die every year, like billions of dollars are spent in healthcare costs to, um, for, for uh, COPD. And so um, I wanted, I, I realized like, so my aunt died in the ICU. So I get this ICU data that I can use and um, the data was like trash. I'm like, it's no way that people actually look at this and get some out of it. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I build something so that I can see everything that happened. So I put together, had a team of, of doctors and like researchers. So we're sitting there and, and I was showing the doctor. I'm like, yeah, so if you look here, she's like, what are you using? And I'm like, uh, my computer, like, so what is this software? And I was like, oh, it's just something I wrote. She's like, you wrote this? That's when I knew it was something. I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I just wrote it so I can see stuff. So that was the first part of it. And then the second part, like, we don't know. Um, it's hard to answer questions with COPD because there's not a lot of data and things just happen so sporadically. So um, I wanted to be able to answer any clinical question based on a patient's data. So instead of looking at, um, you know, looking at a chart and going, oh, okay, your blood pressure spiked and your, your, uh, your blood sugar is up or whatever. Like, I wanted to be able to visualize that using everything that was ever taken 10 years ago. So with using this, we can potentially pinpoint when you when the COPD first came about. So when you may be diagnosed 10 years later, we can go back to your data and visualize this and model it in a way that says, like, hey, this is going to happen. Um, so for my, for my defense, um, I had about, I don't know, it's probably about 50 plus people. I think I may be exaggerated. I don't know. It was a lot of people, like most people that were apparently in the ever in a de defense, in at least in my department. Okay. And, um, I mean, it was black. It was blackity black black. Like all the black mm -hmm. people on campus were there, and that's how mm -hmm. we like, we cele we celebrate each other. We support each other. If you have a concert, everybody is going to be there. So everybody was there, um, and I live streamed it on Facebook. Wow. Pretty confident, right? No. Nope. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it. All I was thinking was my family wasn't able to be there. I had two of my sisters, my cousins were there, but like my grandma wasn't there. Um, my aunt had a, a daughter and a granddaughter who uh who she left behind. So like I wanted them to see it as well. So live streamed it. And um, so it was like, I don't know, afterwards it was like some like over a thousand something views and like people wow. you know, it, hundreds of people were tuned in at one time, you know, watching the whole thing. Um, even when they cut it off at the end, they were like, no, get back on live. We want to see all of it. So everybody was there when they announced that, you know, I passed. Um, and, I, and I was very much like how I'm talking to you now, that's how um, my, my presentation was. Right. So I remember, you know, my advisor saying, you need to cut it down. And I'm like, listen, I've been here for six years. If this take three hours, y'all can do <laughs> three hours. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it, it was really an amazing experience. And I didn't think about it until after people were like, but you did you live stream on Facebook? Like you knew you was gonna pass. I was like, no, I just wanted my mom and them to see it. Right. Yeah. Now you wear a lot of hats. What does a normal day look like to you 
for you, I should say? Um, so I try to get up and pray and journal. I started walking since I can't hoop anymore because social distance. Okay. Um, okay. but aside from that, like I tried to so everything with the adult life, I do it myself. So I design, I um actually press the, the designs on the material. Like I when you order, I create your order and it is me. Every step of the way, I package, I take it to the post office. Um, and so I I know what I what I like as a customer. So if you if someone orders, I try my best to to get it out as soon as possible. So if I can get it out that same day, I'm in there. Um right. so I'm, I'm I'm you know, I'll try to do something adulting in the morning and then I'm a software engineer for Milton Furman. Okay. Um so before we were quarantined, um I would get to the office, try to get there pretty early and get home so that I can work on more adult things. Okay. So yeah, that's what's pretty cool there. What's your website? Uh the So T H E K I D U L T Life L I F E dot com. Okay. Now, how do you how do you advertise? Um, social media. I do a lot of Instagram, mostly Instagram, Facebook. Okay. My uh, my friends, you know, they share things. I, if Shaq is watching this, I've been trying to get in touch with Shaq. <laughs> and, <laughs> He's a cadet. He's definitely a cadet. Chance the rapper, yes. Okay. All the childish people yeah. I see on TV. You know, I, I, um, <laughs> I've um, I've reached out to a bunch of social media influencers, and I don't just go there. Like I, I also reach out to just everyday people, um, right. and I I send them gear. Um, I, you know, recently connected with a, a few people, um, who have been very positive and, and supportive. So yeah, I, I just kind of put it out there, put my story out there. They respond. I'm like, Hey, um, otherwise I'm like, you know what? It's one day, one day. Right. Do you run Instagram or Facebook ads? Um, uh, I have, I've done it a couple of times. Um, okay. yeah. How I, did they work? Um, I got a couple of hits, I think because. So with Instagram and Facebook ads, you have to pay a lot of money to get a wide, uh, get a wide spread. So like to reach a wide, wider audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the adult life started by me and like my um, from my funds. Right. <laughs> so I'm right. still trying to build capital and build enough capital to send it out. So I figure if I can um, by me connecting with influencers and different celebrities, um, I can you know if I get the brand out that way. Right. Um, I would, you know, if, even if, if if I have to pay an influencer, how I see it is that if I pay an influencer, then that's money in their pocket for, you know, that's a job for them. But also, I'm also reaping some of the benefits of, you know, what they created. So. Right. You know what I found? Instagram stories ads are really, really cheap. Sometimes yeah. you can, yeah, Instagram stories ads. Like Instagram ads and Facebook ads, as you see, like it's they've gotten pretty expensive nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but Instagram story ads just on the swipe up, those are cheap. Like yeah. I've got them down to a penny a swipe on, on a few. So that's yeah. That's yeah. something. Yeah. Instagram. Tell me your uh tell me your algorithm, tell me your secrets. Right, yo, yeah. I'll tell you everything I know. Now, what do you wish I would have asked you that I haven't so far? Um I don't know about asking. Um, I can tell you about some tell you some dope stuff that happened while I was um, Let me hear. So, I remember uh, we kind of talked about some of the things that I 
kind of went through while I was at Purdue. Like, uh, I remember thinking I had failed a class because I do I knew I had bombed the final, and I was. Um, so let let's back up. So I remember having a, a my screensaver was John Carlos, the Olympic runner. Um, and I met him. He came to speak at Purdue, and I met him. And we talked for a while after his after his talk. And I remember I was like, "Yeah, I had your screensaver. I was gonna buy the poster, but I was gonna wait like till I get a job. But I'm gonna wait." Um, but yeah, like this stuff so inspirational because I would do things like I would put different people on the front of my phone so I can see it every day. So John Carlos and James Meredith were two people that I could put on the top. James Meredith, uh, he when he integrated Ole Miss, mm-hmm. um. And so, yeah, I so that was inspiration for me. That's like, yeah, somebody else did it. You can do it, right? And so I met John Carlos, and I was like, <gasps> so he was like, you know what? I tell you what, give me your address, email me your address, and I'm going to send you a poster. And I was like, what? You going to send me a poster? Um, and so anyway, months ago, I didn't even thought about it. I'm sitting in my office in tears because I just knew. I was like, they don't kick me out the program. It's done. It's over with. And um his grandson, who went to Purdue, he emailed me and was like, hey, my granddad, are you on campus? My granddad, you know, wanted me to give you something. I forgot all about this poster. He walks in with this poster, and I'm just bawling. I'm like, James Carlo. I mean, John Carlo, give me this. That was really cool, and that was, like, one of many inspirational moments, in, like, you know, reminding me why I'm, why I'm here and keep pushing and keep moving. Um, it was super dope meeting John Carlos. That is that that is super dope. That, that's awesome. Yeah, he's great. How can people get in contact with you? Um, so I am call me Rudy on Instagram. I'm I call me Rudy on Twitter. And then there's adult life. You can always follow the adult life. Um, shoot me an email. Um, I'll put that out there. Uh, Amber at the adult life.com. You can send it there. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm always open to mentoring and, I don't know, talking about, I don't know, whatever. I'm always here to help people email me, message me all the time, asking for advice about grad school or business or whatever it is. All right. Why did you agree to talk to us? Because um, I think HBCU grad is dope. Like, the whole, um, I saw, there was a post I saw a while ago. Um, I can't remember her name. I remember the interview. Um, she, I want to say she had on like African print, African attire, maybe like pink and blue or something. Um, but I was, was, it, was it Melissa Mitchell? Did she have a hair wrap on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's super dope. She's super. Yeah, dope. and I was like, yo, this is really cool. And I, I really like the fact. I like that you, um, you not only bring exposure to HBCUs, but you give those of us who have, have traveled that road a chance to like tell the story. And I think that is so important um, because sometimes, you know, I'm just me. I just see myself as, as me, but yes, I, this is something that I did accomplish. Um, and someone else who looked just like me may see, may see that and they feel like, Oh yeah, okay. I can accomplish this too. And not only that, I didn't have an easy road. Like, I didn't just go to grad school and make straight A's and just like, okay, it's over now. Like, no, there was a whole, like, <laughs> I was, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I think it's really important to be able to tell those stories. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's, I think it's really dope. 
right. Awesome. We, we appreciate you. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, I, I wish you the best and, you know, in your business Thank you. Uh, with Northrop Gunman. That, is that how you say it? Northrop Gunman. Uh, Grumman. Grumman. Yeah. And, um, you know, just wish you the best. You're very inspiring. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to see this like, wow. I didn't know PhDs were cool, you know. <laughs> I know people people be like, people ask me when they like, like you major in computer science, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> people be like, wait, but you're not weird. So I'd be offended for my other friends who are kind of weird. I'd be like, wait a minute, <laughs> right? Everybody's different. Now, how can a computer scientist help different businesses, organizations, and governmental entities? So if someone is running something. What do they need? Well, when would they need a computer scientist? Anytime there's a problem, we are absolute problem solvers. This doesn't have. This isn't. We aren't limited to tech-related things or computer-related things. Mm. Problem solving in general, because I. So some of us is just natural, but the way that we are taught is like, think about it. When you go to a grocery store and you, especially now, we all playing Pac-Man. But we go to the grocery store and you you first look for the the the, the shortest checkout line. Right. Right. But you may also look for, okay, who's who's the who's the faster cashier, right? So it may be a shorter line, this person talking to every customer. So you're like, all right. So just figuring so like your brain as a computer scientist, your brain doesn't really shut off. It's kind of like, all right, optimize. Everything is optimization, like, you know. So anytime you need a, a, a problem solver in, in government, definitely, you know, we have cybersecurity and healthcare. I just talked about my research and, you know, how computer science concepts can be applied to the healthcare field. Um, yeah. I mean, I, computer science is everywhere. It's, 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 I think people, I think people, when they hear coding and all that, they're like websites. I'm like, listen, we all have MySpace, so everybody can code. That is not what it is. Right. <laughs> um, it's so it's so much more than that. So, so going through the um, email exchanges that we had and the message exchanges that we had, how can we be more efficient? Um, no, I think you did a really good. Let me tell you, I was telling my sister, I was like, oh, they like, like legit, but like this is legit. When you said the email is like, okay, there's gonna be a link, and you're gonna, and you were like, we're starting at three p.m. <laughs> Probably, I was like, okay. But then you said it again. I was like, let me. Um. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here. I was like, wait, it's, it's, it's <laughs> you are silly. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I think I think you did your communication. I think you did a really good job. So yes, I will be. Um, I definitely know other people um, currently in grad school, and that that may also be a good segment for you as well, who are currently in graduate school, um, who will come from HBCUs. Um, I have a couple of friends that have just graduated. Um, yeah, they even those. I have a friend who who stayed, um, who has a, a PhD in environmental um, environmental engineering, I wow. think, and she works for the government now. She's like, uh, but she stayed. At, she went to Jackson State for yeah. her her bachelor's, her master's, and her PhD. So that could be something interesting as well to talk about. Because some I've also had questions like, you know, what if I wanted to stay at the same school? Or going get a PhD at a, at a PWI versus uh, an HBCU. So. Right. Now, what's the difference uh, in between PWIs and HBCUs since you went to both? <laughs> um. 
So definitely that community. There is a different type of community. Um, yeah, it's it's not even a, a you know a racial thing like a you know there aren't as many black students here. I mean, just community in general. I feel like there's. I feel like at a PWI, it's more of a business, and yeah. students come in and they get their degrees and they're gone. At an HBCU, it kind of doesn't even really matter how many students uh, the what the population size is. It's still a family, right? Like right. You know, if somebody comes from Purdue, it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay. But somebody comes from Jackson State, you listen, you got to see <laughs> that. You're like, whoa, whoa. And then if you come from the HBCU and you didn't go to an HBCU, then you mm. know, I think, I think definitely that um, that community, um, that nurturing aspect of it. I had professors, um, you know, they would. You know, I, I knew of them calling students like, hey, you, I haven't seen you in class in a couple of days or a week. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going on at a PW. Right. In my, in, from what I've seen. And then, you know, at HBCU, it's like we're, you know, we're prepared. Like, they, they at least try to instill in us, you know, you have to be better. You have to be on time. You have to, um, and it's instilling that uh, confidence in us of kind of like, go out and conquer the world. Right. So I think that was I, I kept that to heart and um and definitely how to navigate the world. So if you ever if you ever register for classes at any I am I am convinced that any HBCU across the country, if you've ever registered for classes at HBCU, you are ready for anything. I still have some of your registration papers. Just my, one of my friends, she went to Tuskegee. She told me she still has her stuff in her sophomore year just in case in just in case they call her like you didn't pay this. She's like, nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this was great, Dr. Johnson. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best. And if you ever, ever need anything, we'll always be here for you. I appreciate you all. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Well, have a good one. You too. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. That was Dr. Johnson, the first black woman to earn a PhD from Purdue University. We're HBCU grad, HBCU grad on Instagram, HBCU graduates on Facebook. We appreciate everyone who tuned in and we'll be back probably Thursday or Friday with another HBCU grad live. Have a good one. Bye bye. Hey, guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, We don't ask for much, but I'm going to ask you for a favor. I'm going to ask you to go to iTunes, Spotify, and leave us a review. A review will give us feedback on how we're doing, and a review will also help others find this podcast. So if it's a five-star, give us a five-star. If it's a one-star, say it was shitty. All right. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one.